tabernacle. Okay? And if you do any sort of study about the tabernacle, you'll realize that <clears throat> it was made up of a number of layers. And the outside layer of the tabernacle was made up of skin. Now, I've heard different types. Some say it was badger, some say it was ox, some say... But regardless, it was made up of skin. Now, the tabernacle was a... Was a, was a was known that inside it was the presence of God and it was mobile. So you would lift up the presence of God and move it with you. But there's something I love about this. There's something I love about this final layer of the tabernacle and it's skin. There's something about skin. God likes to live in. There's something about skin that inside is his presence. And we are now tabernacles, mobile presence carriers. So that when we go into Primark, just picture the Old Testament, okay? Just picture the Old Testament. Just picture KFC there now, as it is right now. And picture the Old Testament, someone coming in. And carrying the presence of God and just leaving it there. It would be changed, right? I can assure you it would be changed. Well, how about that presence of God that lives in you and we walk in there? Shouldn't it be changed? The same presence, the same power, the same provision that was in the presence then is in the presence now. And that presence, people of his peace and of his power, and of his presence. And I always find the gospel very simple. And I think that's how it's supposed to be. I don't stumble over it. I, I find it quite easy. And it all boils down to this for me. Jesus died and rose again for me, and I need to go and tell people. Like... I need to live onto him. So I need to live this way. So everyone this way reaps the benefits of my life in him. Everyone reaps the benefits of my life in him. If I was a multi-millionaire, okay? Okay, hang on. That's a bit of lack of faith. When I'm a multi-millionaire, okay? And we are in a restaurant and there's 10 of us around the table. I don't think anyone would say it, but I think there would be a little bit of presumption like, Andy's going to pick this bill up. I don't think anyone would say it audibly, but I think people would think, I wonder if, but then you just lose that thought and you carry on, you'd order what you want into your own budget, but hope they pick it up anyway. Well, the reality of it is we are filled with the entirety of heaven. And when the lost are around us, they should be going, something's going to change. Something is going to change in my life. They are going to bless me with him. And if they don't know he exists, I can assure you they're probably not looking for him. But they're looking for something. But the something is a someone. Someone. 
and they're searching for Jesus. And we have him. And people say, but I'm not an evangelist. Well, I would say it like this. God forbid that this ever happened. But if a house was on fire and your family were in there and you knew that you could actually get them out by speaking to the fire, just by speaking to the fire, would you close your mouth, pick up the phone and ring the fire brigade? Or would you speak to the fire? Well, I have a question, but why would you do that if you're not a firefighter? Why wouldn't you ring the people who are supposed to be doing it? You wouldn't. You'd step straight into action and you'd say, fire be gone in Jesus' name. You wouldn't ring the fire brigade up and go, hey, listen, do you have any evangelists in the firehouse there? Can you send one? Because I need them to preach to the fire. He'd be like, can you just not do that? What I'm trying to say is we can exclude ourselves. My job is not to reach every single person on that street because I can't do it, okay? I can't. While I'm talking to this one, I can't talk to that one. While I'm talking to that one, this one walks by. My job, my role, my office is to equip all of you to reach the lost. So I can sit in KFC. I'm just kidding. That's... The role of an evangelist, it's to equip you to reach the lost, unashamed, bold. Just open your mouth. Listen, I want to just take a little bit of pressure off you right now, just in case you fell into some sort of delusion. You can't save anyone, okay? So just take that pressure off yourself. You can't. But I know a man who can. His name's Jesus. And he knows men and women who he wants to use, and it's you and me. So let's just do it. But sometimes we see the obstacles. Sometimes we see the giants. I want to share a little story with you. <clears throat> we have the Premier League, right? The football. The referees, the officials in the Premier League, they receive a handbook. And the handbook comes from 30 Gloucestershire Place in Westminster, London. This is the handbook that all the officials have to use. Whether they're having a good day or a bad day, the referee has to use this book. You see, this book is a non-biased book. This book is a book of rules and a book of truth. Because against two teams, there's never, there's always, sorry, conflict of interest. No team is ever going to go out and agree that the best thing for them to do is to be beat. Okay? So Everton want to beat Liverpool. Liverpool want to beat Everton. Okay? But the referee has a job and has a role to let them play as aggressive as they can and as fair as they can. And to let them play as aggressive and as fair as they can. But have a rule of thumb and a rule of authority in the middle. Okay? Now, the referee is given authority. The players are given rules. But the referee is given authority. Okay? Rules 
and authority are completely different. If, I, if Bill is my boss and I work for him, he can implement rules and I'm to live by them in the workplace. But he also has the authority to implement them and even slightly change them if it needs to. But the referee is a man that has to stay with the book, the handbook that conducts the game. Okay? Now, what I've noticed is the referees are never some of the biggest people on the pitch. They're never the biggest in stature. They're typically quite small. You look at NFL, the American football. Football. They use the hands. It's a strange thing. I love it when I'm in the States. I say we call it football because you use your feet. They look at you like this. We, we actually call it football because we use our feet. They just look vacant. It's a, it's a funny thing. It's like we would, I guess we would call it handball if we used our hands. Anyway, different ball game. So this referee, he's been given authority and power. Now there's a difference, okay? Power, good and evil have power. It's called dynamis, dynamite. Where we get the word dynamite from? Now we know terrorists have power, right? We know that. I mean, look at what's been happening over the last 10 years. Look at ISIS, Al-Qaeda, Taliban, blowing things up. Terrorists, they're using power. That is dunamis. It's called explosive power. But the referee has a different kind of power. It's called agusio. Now, agusio is a power with authority to use it. You see, the players with their dunamis, with their dynamite power, could take the referee down, but the referee can take them out. Do you see what I mean? They could take the referee down with their dunamis power, their dynamite, their dynamic power, but the referee can just speak to them and send them off the pitch. So the players can take you down, but the power we have can take them out. So what we need to do is we need, to, when we go onto the streets, we need to know that we have been given a handbook, which is a flannel, but a book, if you get what I mean. We've been given a book that we're to live by, and it's a book of rules, and it's a book of authority. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth, I give to you. I give to you. Then he says, go. And make disciples, baptize them in the name of Jesus, so on and so forth. So not only have you been given a gusio, you've been given the authority to use it. So what does that mean? Is you can send off the players. You can send off fear. You can send off shame. You can send off rejection. You can send off bitterness. You can send off jealousy. You can send off um, competition. You can send off comparison. You can send off Anything that is getting in your way from be you being you in him today. You have the authority to speak to the mountains and the mountains will move. More often than not, we're like, Lord, show me the mountains. I know something's in my way. And more often than not, the mountain's called whatever you're called. The mountain has a name. And more often the mountain in my way, its name's Andrew. 
That's the mountain that's normally in my way. The mountain that'll be in Jennifer's way will be called Jennifer. And if it's not Jennifer, it'll be closely called Andrew. <laughs> you speak to the mountains and you cast them on each side. You send Jennifer that way and Andrew that way. Be good. I'm just kidding. You agreed. You stood in agreement too quickly there, my love. But two or more together. Thank you for empowering that compromise. I'm just kidding. God wants to use you. Each morning, tell yourself to get out of your way. Because I promise you, we're not that good at doing this. We're not. Honestly, I don't want to come across, like, please understand me. I'm not trying to suffocate anyone here. I'm just trying to maybe speak a, a reality into some of your lives. Like, We're not seeing what we want to see, right? We're not. So we can speak to mountains and move them. Well, I will say this. Speak what you seek until you see what you've been speaking. Speak what you seek. Speak what you're seeing, what you're seeking until you see what you've spoken. Keep declaring it. No, I am bold. I am righteous. I am set apart. I can do this. I can do this because the world will want to crush you. Do you know what I've noticed? The enemy doesn't have to use weapons of mass destruction in our life. He uses little weapons of distraction. Not weapons of mass destruction. Little weapons of mass distraction. It's when we're distracted, we're not looking forward. And when we're not looking forward, we're looking left and right. And when we look left and right, our eye is not single and our body doesn't become light. So if we're not light, we're dark. And if we're dark, how dark are we? You walk into a dark room as darkness, you won't light it up. You will just blend in. And too often we are blending in out there. We look like them. It's going to get to the time when we go out and we say, hey, has anyone told you about Jesus? And they're going to say, has anyone told you? So tell your face that. We actually have to look like we believe what we believe. Does this make sense? We actually have to look like we believe what we believe. An apple tree doesn't need to be told it's an apple tree. It just goes, there's an apple. That's what I am. We don't need to be told we're Christians. The fruit in our lives, we will be known by our fruit. Carriers of peace, carriers of provision, carriers of joy. Carriers of his presence. And this is what the world needs. The world is looking for someone who looks different than them. We're always drawn to people who we believe can encourage us. I went to, and I'll say this, and I want you to understand my heart in this, okay? I went to... AA, Alcoholics Anonymous. Now, I'm not bashing that place, okay? Just understand my heart. I'm not. 
I see people who refrain from drinking for 30 years in the, but they're not free. They're not free. You can't be partially free. Okay? If this crazy worship leader here who plays these keys handcuffs me to this, right? But I can move my legs, move my arms, move my head, but I'm stuck to that. Am I free? Well, most of me is, but I'm not. There's no such thing as partial freedom. So I would go to AA before I met the Lord and I went for a number of years and every time I went and I wanted to share my issues, I would say, hey, my name's Andrew Cannon and I'm an alcoholic. Well, guess what's going to happen? Guess what I'm going to think of myself? That I'm an alcoholic, 24-7. So I declare an issue over myself and live in it and think I'm going to get free. I'm an alcoholic. I'm an alcoholic. I'm a... Well, guess what you're going to be? An alcoholic. Because I was, I was confessing a war over myself. And I was placing myself in it. I met Jesus and was set free. And went back to AA to share my testimony. I don't know why I'm going down this road, but I just want to touch on it. I went back to AA to share my testimony. And I said, hi, my name's Andrew Cannon, and I'm a born-again believer. I've been set free by the blood of Jesus. And he looked at me with a little bit of concern. Like, how can you be free? You haven't confessed your issues over yourself. I'm like, I don't have any. I did. My name's Andrew Cannon, and I've been washed by the blood of Jesus. I'm a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. And I shared with them. They looked furious. I said, listen, <clears throat> if I'd been diagnosed with a terminally ill, a terminal that, an illness that was causing me to become terminally ill. And I was going for treatment, for treatment, for treatment, for eight years, nine years. And then all of a sudden they said, Mr. Cannon, you've got the all clear. Would I go back next, the next day and say, just treat me? I wouldn't go back. I'd be rejoicing. I'd get on the rooftop and I'd scream, hey, I've been set free. I wouldn't declare over myself if I had chicken pox for 10 years. I know that doesn't last that long. Hey, and I got delivered on that day. I wouldn't stand up the next day and go, hey, I'm Andrew Cannon and I've still got chicken pox. I'd be like this in the mirror going, oh, my days, they've gone. Oh, my days, they've all left me. And this is what happened when I got set free from drinking drugs. I'm not that person. Hey, listen, it said that I was crucified. I was dead in Christ, dead, put to death, death, death dead. Do you know what the ancient Greek for dead means? Dead. Dead. I did a study. It led me to a dead end. Dead. He was dead. He's dead. That fella. That nuisance. Steady on, Jenny. Yep. He was looking too closely at this one. Not that. I was pointing down there at the old man. You're looking at me going, yeah, as if like I'm a nuisance. Just kidding. Just kidding. Oh, we'll have a word in a minute. Um, he's dead. And this is the reality. Hey, 
You have all died, okay? He's gone. She's gone. And this is why you're so amazing. Okay? But there's still things that just somehow in our thinking and in our activity, we give the old man or woman a little bit of CPR. We get down here and just pump a little bit of oxygen into the lungs and we resurrect a few little things, what we find our identity in. Oh, I'm no good at this. He gets on. Oh, I'm so bad at this. She gets on. And what we do is we resurrect the old man and Jesus has put him to death. Don't go back there. You are amazing and you are set apart and we together are better. In unity, we are stronger. And I ain't going to mess around with this life and play games when God has set me free for a task, a hand. The kingdom is a hand. I'm not waiting for revival, okay? Revival's gonna come. Revival's here. How much reviving do you need in the, the entirety of heaven living in you? If we say, but when this happens, I think we don't quite understand who lives in us. Would you know we can lay hands on all the sick and they be healed? Now listen, again, I want you to understand this. Because sometimes in the excitement of a minister, we can say things that could act, which is truth, but if not put across in the right manner, can make people feel inadequate, okay? So when I say, do you know we can lay hands on the sick and them all recover? You know we can do that. But it's not happening in our lives, right? It's not happening in mine. I want it to. Like I said, I want my shadow to heal people in Sainsbury's. Can you imagine? The little woman like that buying a piece of garlic pie. Woo-hoo! She stands up out the wheelchair. <laughs> Boom, done. Can you imagine just your shadow brushes? Oh, I'll have them two pepperoni pizzas, please. And the woman gets up out. What happened there? Your shadow touched me. This is how I want to live. I want to live like this. So what I'm saying is we have the authority to lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Now, Jesus himself is healer. He is healer. Nine plus years ago, I had many opportunities and it was against my will. I slept in a couple of police cells, okay? I had a bit of a fruitful life. It was the worst Airbnb I've ever stayed in. <laughs> Brick walls in a judo mat. So I've been in police cells a number of times, okay? But the very first time I got arrested, they swabbed my mouth. Like, like big ear bud thing. Put it in my mouth and put it in a tube. And I was like, why are you doing that? Well, it's horrible. He said, well, Mr. Cannon, now we know exactly who you are. And we have you on the database. They took my saliva, they took my spit, and they put it in a tube, and they analyze it, and they know exactly who I am. If I go there the next time, and I refuse to tell them, they just swab me. They take one of my hairs out. They put it in a tube. They know exactly who I am. It says it's Andrew Cannon. Born 24th of the 7th, 1778. Address, 16 Fox. Boom, boom, boom. Tells me everything. Blood type the lot. Well, can you imagine that system 2,000 years ago? And Jesus walks up to the blind man. And he goes, if you're willing, will you make me well? And Jesus picks up this mud, spits in it, and puts it in his eyes. Puts it, rubs it on his eyes. You see, the very deed 
DNA, the very swab of Jesus' mouth says, I am healer. If you want to know who Jesus is, look at his spit. This is DNA. I am healer. His spit, his swab, his fob, put it in your face. It will heal anyone. But I don't encourage you to spit up people, okay? <laughs> but I do encourage you to lay hands on people like, hey, can I tell you Jesus loves you? Probably not going to work. However, lay hands because the King of kings and the Lord of lords lives in you. I just, I get worried sometimes. No, I'm not worried. That's the wrong word. I get concerned sometimes of how many opportunities I may have missed. Now, in God's grace and mercy, he'll bring someone else in to tie it all up. Like, it's not like an opportunity's missed, it's missed forever. If I miss someone who's ready for, to give their life to the Lord, one of you guys will pick them up. Clearly, it's, God works like that. He desires none of us should perish. He's patient, long-suffering, desiring none of us should perish. But God wants to use us, and it's mind-blowing that, like, this is the best he's got. Like... It's crazy, right? God must be big. Like, this is it. This is his team, right? And of course, not just you. Every other believer. Yeah. This is the body of Christ. How dare the elbow say to the arm, it's not needed. How dare the neck say to the back, you're not needed. We are all equally as valuable. The minute you think you're more valuable than someone else, you've got off your donkey and onto your high horse. And the king that I follow came in on a donkey. And you see this donkey will take him anywhere he wants to go I really really don't take myself too serious but I take myself very serious I know in a moment this could crumble in my life and you say yeah but you stand on the on the solid ground how many men and women of God do you know who you would aspire who fell into deep sin and all of a sudden you go oh my days what was his name the worship leader, Hillsong, Marty Sam. Do you know how many songs he's written? He was the most prolific worship songwriter Hillsong have ever had. Do you know that song, What a Beautiful Name? What a Wonderful Name? He wrote that. He wrote Oceans. He wrote, Oh, praise the name. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. He wrote that. He wrote that. That is a man that has been deeply touched by God. The enemy comes in and sifts them. So when I say I don't take myself so serious, what I mean by this is I know I can't do it without him. But when I take myself serious, I know I can do all things in him. And it's time we turn up the risk. I see thermostats and thermometers. Do you know what a thermostat does? A thermostat, sorry, a thermometer. A thermometer is put into a vessel and it tells you the temperature of the vessel. It doesn't do anything else. A thermometer on the wall will tell you the current state of the room. That's all it does. It tells you if it's 18 degrees, 20 degrees, 24 degrees, hopefully the rest of the week, 26, 27. And that's what a, thermos, a thermometer does. It tells you when a baby's sick, you check its temperature, you put it in its mouth or in the corner of its ear, and it will tell you the heat of the baby. That's all it does. It doesn't do anything except tell you the current state of what things are. That's pretty much like the church at the moment. Doesn't do anything except tell you of the state it's in. Do you know what a thermometer does? 
a thermostat. A thermostat sees a room that's cold and it turns the heat up. That's what we're called to be like. Thermostats, ones that can go into an impoverished situation and crank up the presence of God. Because he's in us. And believe me, he is itching to get out. But like, God, use me. He's like, you use me. No, but God, use me. But sometimes you don't do what I ask. God, give me an opportunity. Okay. I've missed it. Give me another one. Okay. God, give me another one. Okay, missed it. I can imagine the Lord going, hey, Bill, Jen, Sue, Natasha, I have a, I have a suggestion. Why don't you give me an opportunity? I'll never miss. I'll hit the target time after time after time. God wants to set his people free. God wants us to be alive, looking fresh, looking refreshed, looking like we believe what we believe. So we have this power, this agusio power. And we have the authority to use it. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That's 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Ephesians 4, 23 to 24 says this. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts. Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So, instead, instead of what? Instead of being led by the flesh. Instead, instead means not that, but this. Instead means stop doing that. Start doing this. Instead means you have an option, this or this. The scripture says, instead, instead of what? Instead of doing that, I have an idea. Let's do this. Let the spirit renew your thoughts. Put on the new self. Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. I love this. I have highlighted the put on. So there's an instruction. There's an instruction for us to do something. Instead of doing this, put on the new self and go and do that. And you say, well, what's this and that? Well, that's most certainly not this. You say, you still confuse me. Okay. Is your life like the book of Acts? Well, don't do that. Is your life like the book of Acts? No, well, don't do that. Do this. Put on the new self, the one that is unashamed, the one that was rose from the dead, the one that has the breath of God, that, that 
purpose in their heart. God, that move of God, would you wrap around it? Be that. The lost are crying out for you. And we're crying out for him. He wants to use you. We've seen so many times believers just step out and it's almost like they've been hit by a bolt of lightning in the greatest of way. And, they, and what happens is you, only, you tend to see a mixed emotion. It's like, that was amazing. Slash, oh my days, why haven't I been doing that? All I did was actually put what I believe into practice. And not only is my life changing because God's building me up and edifying me and encouraging me, but that person's life has just gone from spending an eternity in the lake of fire to an eternity in heaven because we decided to knock on someone's shoulder in Subway and tell them, In the last four months, our ministry has had the privilege to lead over 20,000 people to Jesus. 20,000. 20,000 people. Me. In him. Again. I don't want to be one of those ones who mislead you. That is not normal. That is not normal. So please don't project that back and go, 20,000 every four months. That's 60,000 a year. No, that's not the case. I wish it was. But it hasn't been. We've led more to the Lord in the last four or five months than I probably have in the last five, last nine years. God is doing something with the one who says, you, the old man, get out my way, cast the old man aside, put on something new, what he's given you, and be led by the Spirit, and he will not lead you down dead ends. Because he says, don't look left and right. And he's put you on a narrow path. He says, keep your eyes single. Keep looking forward. So if you're looking forward, you don't need to go that way. Or go that way. Everything you need and have is on, a need and have to sustain you is on the narrow path. Have you ever seen marathons, marathon runners? And every mile, there's a water station, right? Or every kilometer. I don't know if anyone does any long distance running in here. But every kilometer, there's, there's those tables or there's, water, there's sponges in water and he can just refresh themselves. Now, that runner, that partaker knows every kilometer I'm going to be refreshed. But that's providing he stays on a designated course. If he is running around about uh, the seventh or eighth kilometer, sees right through the park and sees the 10th kilometer and decides to take a divert, he will not pick any water up or any sponge in that bit of the race. Okay? In the practical sense. Now, God in his mercy and his grace will always bring you back. But the Bible says, pick up your cross. Deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. Pick it up. That means pick up the cross and follow him. That is so the cross is not there the finished works of the cross where uh, where he says it's finished and our new life began it's not remember this 
Remember that. Remember the cross. Remember, I breathed my last and said, it is finished. And then go wandering. And then when you get a little bit troublesome and your life's a little bit chaotic, somehow in your strength, try and make yourself back to this and repent. No, no, no. He says, bring it with you. It's called short accounts. You don't have, a, far, you don't have a, a great distance to run from your failure to it is finished. It's like, oh, I got that wrong. Oh, well, he's here. Jesus. Pick up your cross, deny yourself and follow me. When you pick up your cross and deny yourself, when we deny ourselves, the spirit is reigning in us. But it's this contention of us and him. He wants to put us down and let him reign. Does that make sense? Sometimes I'm thinking, what I know is this. Is that each and every one of us pack a punch. Each and every one of us pack a good lethal blow to the enemy's plans. But the thing is, like I said, he's dropping in. Not weapons of mass destruction. Weapons of little distraction. It only takes our mind to go like this somewhere, doesn't it? It only takes that our mind, you know, on that day of outreach or that prayer meeting for something decent to pop on the TV or a friend to call you for a meal and like, oh, we end up going that way. God say no. He's trying to draw his people back to send them out. He's trying to draw his people back to send them out. Caleb, Numbers 13. They go and spy the land with Joshua and the other spies and they come back. And the spies, they start grumbling and complaining and worrying. And Caleb silences them. It says, he silences them. It says, be quiet. He says, surely we can take that land and we must do it now. We must do it now. We're going to have a little break for five or ten minutes. And then we're going to come back. And then I'm probably going to go to my notes then. <laughs> okay? And see how we get on. Because I did, I think I started somewhere. Yeah. And I promise I intend to end somewhere. But listen, let's just bring a little summary of what's just been said. You're a new you. You're a new you. You are filled with the power and the presence of God. And it was someone just like you, you, that led me to Jesus. And because someone like you stepped out knowing who you was, my life's never been the same. Just someone like you. You're thinking, no, not me. I'm saying, yeah, just like you. But he was a man with a goatee, but you know what I mean. <laughs> but someone just like you, a believer. Someone who's just going on with his business under the radar don't need this to lead people to Jesus. You need this and simple belief. So someone just like you who led me to Jesus, who stepped out, my life's never been the same. And we're just going to touch on a few more things when we come back. And I believe God will encourage you. Because if I can't do it, I know he certainly can. And we're in this together. So maybe go and grab a coffee, go and grab a smoothie, go and grab whatever you want. Test your shadow, see if it's healing people. 
if, if you want, if anyone wants to bring it past me now, that's fine. Put it into practice. So I'll be back in like, what, 10, 15 minutes? Yeah, 10 minutes. Okay, that okay? So let's come back here for 22. 20 to 12. I'll just wait for the rest of you to take your seats, finish your conversations. Oh, they're coming. It's okay. We've got about 30 more seconds. I can just see the, the lay of the land. People are sitting down. Okay, so <clears throat> remember, don't do this. Do that. You are not the same as you used to be. You're a new you. You're not a better version of the old you. I'll say that again. You are a new you. You're not a better version of the old you. You're new. You're new in him. He put to death the old man and woman. And you rose victorious as a new creation in him. Now that's a relief, right? That's a relief. <clears throat> because if I was just a better version of the old me, there's going to be a lot of the old me in today. Because I'm still the old me, just a bit more squeaky clean. Well, no, that person died. God crucified him. Jesus crucified him. The new creation rolls again. So each day we can step in, in victory, in him. And go about our father's business. Jesus said, I'm about my father's business. That's the same Christ that dwells in you and me. I have a question. Will you allow him? We're not the same anymore but somehow our thought patterns can become negative and I don't even mean negative towards one another I mean negative in how we see ourselves and how we see our future in the Lord I was in South Africa not so long ago I think it was I think it was there where, where, where this incidents happened and I was sitting they put me on the front row and the church was I don't know how many was in there a couple of hundred and then they introduced me to the platform first of all he played you'll never walk alone I'm an Evertonian okay walk or with the Liverpool t-shirts on they just presumed I was from Liverpool I said no I've repented and I've been washed as white as snow those Liverpool tops were a filthy rat. I'm not going to just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Right, so they, introduced, they played this, and then they introduced me to the platform. Are you ready? As and they said, we have in our midst. I'm like, okay. They're going to announce me, I presume. They said, we have in our midst 
international evangelist. Inst instantly I thought, they're going to be honoring someone, someone who's in the meeting. He said, can we just welcome onto the platform international evangelist, Andrew Cannon. And I chuckled inside. I was like, and it was only a thought, that's nice. That's nice of them, you know, honoring me. Like, that's really nice, but it's, but it's not true. And then it was only when I was on the flight home, I was thinking of it and I thought, I've took like 50 flights this year. Internationally. And I am an evangelist. So maybe that was the right thing to say. International evangelist, Andrew Cannon. You see, I was the last person who saw it. But I was living it. I was the last person to see myself as an international evangelist. Listen, I'm just some kid working it out, okay? <laughs> Going after Jesus with everything I've got, pouring out everything he puts in me, okay? The reality is, I'm an evangelist who travels internationally. So when they invited me up, we have in our midst international evangelist Andrew Cannon. And honestly, I chuckled. Because I never, ever saw myself that way. But it's the truth. I am. Now, we don't have to glamorize and go into Like, I'm an evangelist who travels internationally. Okay? Which means I'm an international evangelist. But I never once saw myself that way. And it's the truth. How often do we not see ourselves in line with truth? How often do we not see ourselves in line with what God says about you? Listen, I can say a lot of things about you, a lot of good things, okay? I can. And I can say a lot of good things about my bro here. Come on. I can. I can say a lot of good things. But God knows your heart and can say a lot of great things. I don't know you like God does, okay? I don't, bro. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to realize that. Like, I've seen you last year, and I'll see you this year. And God willing, I'll see you next year. But the reality of it is, I don't know you as you know you. And I don't know you as God knows you. And I don't know how you see yourself, but I know how Jesus sees you. So if you don't see yourself as the Lord sees you, you're never, ever going to feel worthy. Now, you may say, well, we're not. No, we're not. But you'll never believe that you are who he says you are. You'll never believe that the old is gone and the new has come. You'll never believe that you've stepped out of darkness into light. You'll never believe you've stepped out of lies and into truth. You'll feel like you're on the fence and believe me, it's uncomfortable on there. And when you don't believe who God says you believe, you always think the grass is greener on the other side. Well, let me tell you something. Is the fence, right? Here is the fence, okay? And we're here. And you're looking over and the grass is greener. Now, the quote is the grass is always greener on the other side, right? Okay, so what happens when I get here? Where's the grass greener? But it's always on the other side, right? So what happens when I get here? See the way you chase your tail? 
you know where the grass is greener? In the perfect will of God. That's what I've noticed. The grass is greener in the perfect will of God. So you don't see yourself as Christ sees yourself, and we have to. Because when we see ourselves as he sees us, we start to live out as he commands us. The Bible, the great commission is a great command. It's not, we've heard it, it's not the great suggestion. Okay? It's the great command. Jesus says, you ready? If you love me, you will what? You will obey my commands. And we say, and even I say, but I love you, Lord. And then somehow I hear Jesus muttering, hey, when you love me, you'll obey my commands. Same thing. Let's just say I'm not adding to the Bible. Let's just say this is the RSV version, the real Scouse version. Do you have the NLT, the NIT, the TBN, the FBG, the da 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 hey, whatever. This is the RSV, the real Scouts version. The NIV says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. The RSV says, when we love him, when we'll obey him. Because we say, yes, God, we do love you. And then I say to me, okay, I say to me, but Andrew, do you live out his commands? And then I say, Lord, forgive me. Because if there's a man or woman in here who can stand on here and say, bold with their hearts pure and their hands clean, say, Lord, I live out your commands every day. I would like you to take this microphone from me and minister to me. I want you to lay hands on me and I want to see breakthrough in my life because I don't but I want to. I miss opportunities all the time, okay? I miss opportunities all the time. Some of you are thinking, thinking, you're not really building us up here. You're not really teaching us. No, I'm just being real. I'm being real that there's not much difference between me and you except I have a microphone. And it took me seven hours in a scolder to get here <laughs> in that traffic. I tell you something, it was like Christ left the building. I know there was little moments of flesh, a little flesh flash, as I call it. But I'm real. I'm learning. I'm growing in him. I don't have it all together. I promise you I don't. But I know in him I can. And we want to see the body of Christ opening their mouths unashamed so I promised I'd go to my notes tonight okay so Jesus has qualified us okay he's empowered us with a new creation we know who we are okay we know who we are the old is gone we've put on the new man and your new man looks good bro when I said the man with the goatee who led me to the Lord he was just like you, mate, but not as handsome. Uh, this isn't being recorded live, is it? Ian Aiken, you are a handsome man, wherever you are. He was the man that led me to the Lord. But what I say is, the old is gone, right? Look at us, man. Come on. Look at us. This is it. Let's come to the party. You're all invited. There's a banquet set 
amongst our enemies and let's go and eat. It's all you can eat. It's all you can eat. The bread of life, eat as much as you want. You'll never get indigestion, just revelation. Eat as much of the bread of life as you can. It'll never give you indigestion. You won't need a swig of Gaviscon after it. You'll just get on your knees and say, thank you. There's a, there's a pastor who I'm actually a spiritual son of. His name's Pastor E.A. Adaboy. He's the pastor of the Redeemed Christian Church of God. The largest church in the world. His congregation holds 3.2 million. He has a church in Nigeria. In the, it's called the Redemption Camp. Okay? The church building is eight square kilometers. Okay? I'm one of his spiritual sons. It was around about that time when my sweat glands opened, actually. <laughs> like, I just sweat profusely. You might look it, but I'm a billion degrees Celsius here. And he said to me, he said, in one of his preachers, he said, one of the things I don't know about, the, what I don't understand about the West, is you pay over the odds to go to an all-you-can-eat buffet and then go all dignified. <laughs> he said, believe me, if my ushers went through that, that, built, that restaurant, they would know about it. <laughs> he said, if my ushers went through that all-you-can-eat buffet, oh, they would know about it. They said there wouldn't be a morsel left. He said, because we know how to feed hunger. He said, my ushers would not be dignified in there, I can assure you. He said, it would be all over the face. He said, but there's something about the West where we just tiptoe towards blessing. We just tiptoe towards the blessing. He said, not my boys, not my women. He said, they will get there. Oh, they will get there. And you will know they've been around. And it got me thinking, and it is quite funny, right? And, and that was said in humor, but there's a severity about it. I want Jesus to know I've been around. I want Jesus to know that I've been around. I don't just want to know he's been around. I'm that kid that keeps knocking, right? I'm that kid. You have not because you ask not. Oh, I'll never be called out on that one. I'm that kid. Can I have? I've always been that kid. Ask my wife. I'm still like that now. Can I have? 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 More often than not, the Lord blesses me. I'm persistent. The Bible says God doesn't sleep nor slumber. But do you know what he did? I think I'd keep him awake. <laughs> Can I have? Can I have? Can I have? And do you know why I know I've been renewed? Because everything I ask for, I know will benefit the people around me. Yeah. I promise, I say that in humility. Lord, can I have? Can I have? Can I have a minivan to take teams of evangelists out? Lord, can I have a rehab? Lord, can I have this? It's all for the benefit of the lost. And I think it's not deliberately, and God can never be tied up, but that kind of puts his arm up his back, doesn't it? Listen to me, because like, it's his word. Like, I just don't test him, but I trust him. God, your word says, he's like, oh, okay. God, your word says, okay. God's not bound by anything, but if he was, it'd be his word. Because he's not a man that he should lie. He's not double-minded, unsteady in all of his ways. So I have a real good suggestion for you. Do you know when you pray? 
pray through his word. Pray through his word. Lord, your word says. The Bible says. God wants to bless you to bless others. He really does. So he qualifies us. Listen to this. He's given you you your new identity. And then he qualifies you. You just want to read this. Where is it? I'll put it in my notes. Okay, it says in First Corinthians that everyone in the congregation, Paul talks about this. He says, everyone in the congregation has been given supernatural ability to bless others. Basically, he calls these abilities gifts, manifestations. Manifestations of gifts. So the gift of the spirit that lives in you needs to manifest outside of you. We're not, it's not like, um, we're not secret service, okay? We've got to go public with this. Okay, it's not if I tell you, I'll have to kill you. It's if I tell you and you give your life to him, he'll save you. We're not submarine Christians that come out the house Sunday morning, check in the car park, go under and pop up in church like that. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. But please don't send me out there. It's not like that. It's like, have you really? Go. Go. Two-thirds of God is go. God really, really wants to use us. I hope I'm coming across like this. Like, he uses me. Hello? You're in with a chance, right? That's not true. You're in with a certainty. It's a win-win. I've read the book. It's not a gamble. It's not a gamble. You know, heads I win, tails I lose, right? It's not a gamble. It doesn't work like that. It's not heads I win, tails I lose. It's I win, I win. Do you know why the Bible tells me? Let me tell you where. The Bible tells me that I have authority to stand on snakes and scorpions. Snakes strike with the head, scorpions strike with the tails. Heads and tails, I win. But I win in him and I only win in him. Because whatever is birthed, conceived of the spirit gives birth the spiritual things. Whatever is conceived of the flesh gives birth of the flesh. So he has qualified us. He has poured in us a spirit that can manifest his blessings. And that could be a blessing of encouragement, a blessing of just pouring in peace, a blessing of giving someone a meal, a blessing of putting petrol in someone's car. Never underestimate small blessings. Don't despise the days of small beginnings. I spoke in a church three months ago. You ready? 100,000 people. Okay. Now I tell you this not to boast because if you'd have seen me up on the platform... It probably wasn't a great deal for me to boast about, I can assure you. I got up there. They brought me in the front. 100,000. Picture Wembley. Bang another 17,000 on it. And it being full. Full. With 30,000 people outside and 2.7 million watching. The pastor kindly tells me that five minutes before I get up. 
He says, I just want you to know, brother, of the, of, of the, um, what did he say? Of the scope of the masses you're speaking to. The pastor was called Pastor Paul Anetje. This church was called the Glory Dome. Dunamis International. Huge, huge. So I sit in the front row, okay? I sit in the front row like this, and they bring me in first. And then like 100,000 people come in after me. I would have been like, can you bring me in last? Just leave me in that aircon room, but they bring me in first. So I don't get to see all the people behind me until I get up on the platform. Okay, so I'm sitting there like this, and the service starts at 9 p.m. till 6 a.m. <laughs> so I'm sitting there, and hours past. People are coming in, and then it's now 12 at night. And he introduced me to the platform, and I get up, and I come with my Bible. It's on YouTube. You can see it if you look at it. And I get up, and I walk onto the platform, and I turn around like this. Can you imagine turning around and then it was almost like I was, I was supernaturally positioned out of like a very small prayer room and plonked in the middle of Wembley Stadium full of people. And I felt amazing. Honestly, I stood there and I was like, God, I know you're real. You really are, aren't you? I need you right now. God, if there's ever a time in my life, and this is what's going through my head, that I need you, it's right now. Lord, don't make me look stupid. I'm here for you. Not like trying to convince them. Not to let, Lord, I'm here for you. And we're going to win souls. He that wins souls is wise and doesn't look stupid. God, don't let me look stupid. Anyway, he didn't, by his grace and mercy, I think. So I preached this message. The pastor asked me to share my testimony. And I'm going somewhere with this. I told you just a moment ago not to despise the day of small beginnings, right? So I'm standing there and I preach for 20 minutes. That's what they give me. They flew me over to Nigeria. They put me in this compound. They give me three armed guards. They give me a police escort. Swimming pool. 20 minutes I had to speak. 100,000 people. 2.7 million watching. 30,000 people in the car park couldn't get in. And I shared my testimony. And the pastor, before I got up, the pastor said to me, he said, evangelist, it's entirely up to you, but I insist you give an altar call. <laughs> he gave me an option. As an evangelist, I'm like, cha-ching, it's on. I preach my testimony and then I say, if there's anyone in here, and the pastor comes up and then we do this call together. If there's anyone in here who wants to give their life to Jesus and we come against addictions, massive problems with addictions and witchcraft and this kind of thing, we come after it. Honestly, it was like something I've never experienced in my life. I stood there. I felt this small. I felt like this small, right? And I'm looking into this church that's bigger than Wembley Stadium, full with a roof over it. Like this. And I'm just watching it. And it just looked like ants were running down the stairs, just running down, just running to the altar. 
there was about five or 6,000 people at the altar. Like, can you imagine that? Like five or 6,000 people. The pastor told me, one of the assistant pastors told me, we estimate that we get about five and a half, six thousand 6,000 in the front. About 17,000 rang in first time commitments. God only knows however more. So it was about 20 plus thousand people from a lad that just goes, I can't do this, but in him I can do all things. It was a day of small beginning. And I preached the simple gospel of radical redemption of how God can do it. And it was, it was the most mind-blowing thing I have ever seen. Why do I say this? I say this because I've preached to churches of four people. I've flown to Belgium and spoke to five people. And all the time, the number of people in front of me don't determine the power within me. It's not about the number of people around you. It's about that one person in you. So God, God, the word says, don't despise the day of small beginnings. Now your small beginning could start today. Every large opportunity that I've had, okay? Every large opportunity I've had, every massive door that has swung open for me has swung open on little hinges. Little hinges. And those little hinges, they scream out, send me, I'll go. Every single door, however big, if it's as big as this, every big door I've gone through just has a couple of little hinges that swing it open. And these little hinges are called the days of small beginnings. And on the door it says, do not despise it. Today, when you walk through these shops, wherever you go, tomorrow, don't despise the small exploits you've seen. Don't despise the small exploits that you've seen in God. Every massive move of God, not every, most massive moves of God that I read about in the Bible, except the outpouring of His Spirit, involves men. Now, I know that move of His Spirit involved men because He filled them. But what I'm saying is, look at all the massive moves of God. Men and women are involved. There's something about this skin that he wants to live in. There's something about this skin that he wants to be glorified in. There's something about God that he wants to show the unbeliever that he's real. Nebuchadnezzar, he throws Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego into the furnace and they're not burning. And he goes, hey, crank that up seven times hotter. And he throws, and then he's like this, Hey, didn't you throw three people in there? I see four people. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. They come out unscathed. Nebuchadnezzar. He says, basically what he says is, I believe what you believe now. And if anyone doesn't kill them, that's a turn around for the books, isn't it? 
If anyone doesn't believe what these believe, if anyone don't save this God, I'll cut them into pieces. The scripture says we'll cut them into pieces. This is a man, this is a king, King Nebuchadnezzar, who wants to kill off these men. These men are touched by God. He sees them and goes, oh my days, I need that. And actually anyone who opposes it, I'm going to cut them into pieces. That's a turnaround, isn't it? What about Daniel getting thrown into the lion's den? Another pagan king goes, surely the sovereign hand of God has saved Daniel. You see, there's a, I want to let you into a, the worst kept secret. There's a lot of unbelievers out there. But there's a lot of believers in here. But the problem is, there's a wonderful kept secret in here. But they need to hear. The gospel is the worst kept secret in the world. It needs to be. We need to tell people. It sets them free. It's the truth. They shall know the truth and the truth shall set them free. If they don't know the truth, they're in bondage. So God qualifies us to go and tell the people. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge in him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Listen to this one. Hebrews 13, 21. May he equip you with everything good for doing his will. Everything you need for accomplishing his will, he is the one who works with us. And it's because of that we're pleasing to him. God chooses people according to his own purpose. He calls people, but not according to their good or bad works. What does that say? That says, regardless to what you think you've done or what you think you haven't done, you ain't, be called, you ain't called because of that. You see, when he called you, he killed you. That's how good you was. That's how good I was. Hey, there he is. Finally, you've called on my name, right? I'm going to kill you. I've been waiting for you, Andrew, for 32 years. Here you are, right, dead. Don't worry, son, I'm going to raise you back up. The whole point of the gospel is to be killed off, to raise up again. And this is what we need to do. I don't have the most dynamic of preaching and the most dynamic of teaching, but what I do have is reality. Is reality. I stand here as a 41-year-old man who's been saved nine and a half years, who has seen the goodness of God countless times through my life. I've seen his healing. I've seen his salvation. I've seen prophetic words. I've seen deliverance. I've seen the masses come to Christ. I've preached to masses and one's come to Christ. I've preached to the masses and many have come to Christ. One thing is for sure is that I don't have to fly over a mission field to get to one. I know that. Now, if you're called to a foreign country and you know it's of God, put the things in place and go. And go. Don't question it. If you know it's of God, go. I'm not saying don't. Please do. If you're called to Guatemala, if you're called to Venezuela, if you're called to Brazil, Paris, France, whatever, go. If you're called to Peru, stay. But it's no more exciting flying over a mission field to get to another one. 
thought it was going to be. Do you know, can I be vulnerable? I'm going to be anyway. Wonderful thing about holding the mic. I just can. And only the sound guy can stop me. Do you know, when I stepped out into full-time ministry two years ago, I left a, a great job. I'll be completely honest. I thought, I hope my ministry, I hope I get on some planes. I hope the Lord takes me to some foreign countries. I did, I thought, it. like, wouldn't it be cool to see all my mates flying all around the world? Lord, it'd be nice. It'd be nice, just a couple of trips, you know, a couple of trips a year. You know, get on a plane, first class on EasyJet. That's just... <laughs> That, that's just within the first 10 rows because you get off quick, I think. First class on easy, yeah? Like, Lord, send me. And you, and you think it's going to be beautiful and amazing and romantic and glamorous and exciting. And it is, but it's hard work. It's hard work. It's actually easier leading someone to the Lord and Tesco around the corner from my house. Because it's never delayed, the plane. It's never 150 degrees. It's just another mission field. And if God's calling you, he'll equip you. Please understand me. But what I'm saying is, don't keep your eye way over there when there's someone right here. Your mission field, wherever you go, is the square foot you stand in. Now that you're saved, you're a missionary. And your mission field is the lost. Wherever you go. God's qualified you. He's qualified you and he's empowered you. I want to be finished soon. So he shows you who you are. You're a new creation. He empowers you and then he delegates. This is where the sending comes. This is where people shrink. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. But I love you, Lord, okay, when you love me. The RSV, remember? When you love me, you'll obey my commands. So, if that's the case, if I love him when I obey him, if that's the truth which the Bible says, if you love me, You'll obey my commands. I say this in vulnerability because I'm here to encourage and equip you not to make you become like me. Don't do that. Remember, don't do this, do that. Don't do that. Become like Jesus, okay? You see, because if I love him when I obey him, is there times in my life I don't love him? Or... Any given moment, any given time, someone asks me, do I love Jesus? My heart will sink and go, amen, yes, I do. But sometimes my life may not look like I do. And I want it to. I want it to. I want my life to look like I genuinely follow Jesus 24-7. And we can, because he's empowering us 24-7. You know, there was, a, there was a saying amongst the rabbis. Okay, so. 
If you wanted to become a disciple of a rabbi, you would go through the tests. There was three tests. I think it was Beit the educational system, the house of the book, the Talmud. It was Beit Sefer, Beit Midrash, something else. I forget what it is. And what that would do is that would sift out the best of the best until you come to this and you would know the Old Testament. You would be able to recite it and the disciple the, the rabbi would grill you on the traditions and on the oracles and on the scriptures and if he thought you was good enough if he thought you was the best of the best of the best because you'd gone through three years or through 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 stages of education only the best of the best of the best would get to apply to become a disciple And if the rabbi looked at this disciple and thought this disciple can spread my yoke. If this disciple can spread my teaching. If this disciple will go on and do greater things than I. Do you know what he would say? Come, follow me. Jesus walks down to the shore. sees a bunch of unlikelies who were fishermen, who were tax collectors, who were this, who were that, which means they weren't disciples, which means they weren't the best of the best, which means they would have been rejected, which means they would never have heard the words that they longed to hear, and those words were come. Follow me. Jesus comes down and looks at the uneducated. Jesus comes down and looks at the unqualified. Jesus comes down to the shore and goes, hey, come, follow me. What's Jesus saying? Hey, you're the best of the best. Hey, you are more than qualified. Hey, you can spread my yoke. Hey, you will go on to do even greater things than I. Come. Follow me. No wonder Peter dropped his nets. All his life, he's longed to hear those words. And in all his life, he's never felt good enough until the teacher of all teachers, the rabbi of all rabbis comes down and goes, ah, you are good enough and I'm choosing you. I'm choosing you to spread this message around the world. I'm using you to proclaim the gospel of my resurrection and life. And Jesus is saying to each and every one of you right now, come, follow me. He's saying you're good enough. He's saying you're more than qualified. He's saying you have the education you need. He's saying you will go on to do greater things than I. This is the gospel. The gospel is we're not good enough. The gospel is he qualifies us, equips us, and sends us. Delegation. Go. Go. Into all the world. Go into all the world. Now, a theologian told me that it doesn't mean all the world. And you go, well, what do you mean? It didn't mean all of the world, although... That's a great thing. It meant into all spheres of influence. That's what it meant. 
get into all spheres of influence, which was in, to, in return in all of the world. Get into business, get into teaching, get into this, get into all spheres of influence, get into all of the world. Because he says, go into all the world, but don't be coming. Be in it, but not of it. But he sends us in it to not be coming, to demonstrate him. Go into all spheres of influence. That means if any of you work in Subway, if any of you work in Tesco, if any of you are doctors, if any of you are vets, if any of you are mechanics, if any of you are stay-at-home mums, if any of you are stay-at-home dads, if any of you are worship leaders, if any of you are pastors, if any of you are pilots, if any of you are so on and so forth, you are qualified to reach the lost. Do you know the man that led me to the Lord? His name's Ian Aiken. Do you know what he was? What he no, not what not what he was, what he did before he started working in a rehab. He drove hackney cabs. Hackney cabs. He's the least likely person to drive hackney cabs. But that's what he did as a born again believer. And then he was offered a job in a rehab. It's just two houses, nine bedrooms. And he's run that centre now for 17 years. And he's discipled and led many people to Jesus. Not because he's a famous international evangelist. Not because he's a famous international preacher, teacher, worship leader, prophet, pastor. Because he's a very simple man that died in Christ, rose again, has been qualified and then sent. He was the man who said, someone in here, wants to give their life to Jesus. Can you imagine? Could you imagine? Okay, well, let's not imagine what Ian thinks. Could you imagine what you think if you led someone to the Lord and then all of a sudden you see them all over the world leading people to Jesus and you know, God, this was all you, but thank you for using me. Ian Aiken, I meet up for him and I have breakfast with him. He discipled me for nine months in a rehab. Nine months represents a birth. The prophets love that. I gave my life to Jesus after three days. They love that too. I sit with Ian Aiken and we go to the harvest and we have breakfast. And this is what he does. He looks at me in the eyes. He goes, tell me. What? What's God doing in your life? I say, Ian, it's crazy. He goes, I know. I know. He said, and there's more just like you out there. and We're going to win them. I said, Ian, I tell everyone I won't shut up. He goes, I know. I know. He said, but don't you ever stop telling people about Jesus. He's passionate. He's never had the platforms that God's given me. He's never, he's never spoke. He's, I've been on a platform in front of a nearly a million people. But Ian Aiken didn't despise the day of small beginnings and he opened up my heart in the name of Jesus and the Lord came rushing in and my life's never been the same. I met my wife in the church where Ian led me to the Lord. My life's never been the same. Never, ever been the same. Never. I wake up, 
I walk down the stairs in my house and my little beagle comes running towards me. All my life I wanted a beagle, but I lived at home in my mother's house and she wouldn't let me get one. I'm a father. And then I couldn't even look after myself, let alone a dog. And then I get saved. Then I meet my wife. Then I buy a house. And then I get my beagle. <laughs> See the way God just does things. So I come down. I come down my house. And I have about 20 Bibles. Because there was a time I didn't have one. So I have a lot. Glory to God. I have a, we have a lot of swords in our house. And I'm just saying this. Because I just, I just want to let you into my life a little bit. Okay. And I come down the stairs. And. I come down and I let the dog out and he comes and sits by my feet and I get my word and I have a coffee and I have a beautiful home and I sit there and I say do you know what Lord do you know if I lose all of this I meant the possessions I will always be in a better place than I've ever been I say to my wife I say Jen get ready kid we're on the front line we haven't jumped out the boat to jump back in. We're on the front line. I say to my wife, it's quite tongue-in-cheek. I'm kind of presuming I know the answer when I say this. I say, Jen, do you know if we lost everything, would you divorce me? She says, absolutely not. I said, well, I can't lose. Let's run. Let's go. But in that, we need wisdom. You need wisdom. My wife says this. You love this. Husbands, if your wives are in here now, how many times have your wives saved you from getting in a lot of trouble? When it's, when it's, don't do this, do that. My wife says this, she says, Andrew, she looks at me very sincere. She says, my love, you see, you have all the faith in the world to jump out the boat. She says, but sometimes you lack a little bit of wisdom to know that shark infested. <laughs> she said, so I'd like to congratulate you on your faith that you are willing to be eaten alive by a shark. <laughs> but when God calls you, his provision is there. And this is all wonderful what we're doing in here right now, but you know what's even more wonderful when they hear it? Have you seen those things in, in like um, the swimming baths and it has a defibrillator on, on, on the wall? And it's in a glass case and it says smash in case of emergency. But I'm believing for God to smash your normal in this emergency. There's an emergency. This country's on cold red constantly spiritually. None of these ambers and oh there's a terrorist attack come against them but I'm telling you now this country is constantly under a terror attack it's constantly just because we don't see it our battles are with weapons unseen so I'm praying that God smashes this glass case today in our lives and pulls out this spiritual defib that we're going to take to the streets and we're going to place it on people called our hands Trust me, the spirit of the living God is more powerful than any defibrillator. And when we lay hands on the lost, let's believe they will give their lives to the Lord. You're qualified, you're called, you're established, you're rooted in him. You have everything you need to be as amazing as you want to be.
Can I pray? Father God, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, for my family. I thank you for my family, Lord. My brothers and sisters in here, and there's no strangers in here to me. Just so my brothers and sisters that I've not met. But we are family. And God, I thank you that you want to equip us, you want to change us, you want to sharpen us, you want to send us. And Jesus, we know that you've gone before us, so I ask, Lord, that we hear your voice clearly and that we are sheep that know your voice and that we step out into small exploits, taking every opportunity and that pool will be saved. Pool shall be saved because you can do it, Lord. And it's no surprise that you actually want to do it more than us. So I say, God, we, Jesus, we give you the opportunity and we are going to be out there with you. Send us, Lord. Teach us. Show us. We're winners in you. We win in you. We win in you. So I ask God that you help us with this harvest of souls. In Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys. Steve, can I hand over to you? Bless you guys. I hope, I hope that you have been encouraged. That was my intention, okay? I did come with an agenda. And that was to help you. And just to be vulnerable with you and just to share my heart and go, even in the failures and the successes, Christ's right in the middle and we can do this. Your normal doesn't have to be as, as average as it is. Okay? Ask God to disturb your normal. Even however great your normal is, there's much, much more. Okay? Bless you guys. Thank you. Isn't that good? Thank you.